Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Canadian Investor. My name is Simon Belanger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Braden Dennis. Hey, Braden. Hey, yo. So today we're going to be talking about a few different subjects, uh, some of the mistakes we did as uh, beginning investors while we were starting to learn uh, about investing in general. And then we'll talk about uh, our own investing processes and some of the things that we look at when we uh, were considering investing into a company. But before we get started, uh, Brayden, like, um, what do you think about the stocks stock splits of uh, Tesla and Apple and which seems to just have propelled those two stocks to new heights that probably no one anticipated. Um, I thought stock splits, stock splits weren't uh, supposed to pri provide value to investors. Yeah, we can, we can talk about Apple later because it's actually part of one of my investing mistakes. Um, but my God, I made an Instagram post on my like stratosphere investing Instagram about how stock splits don't mean anything. Um, and now I legitimately had people comment being like, are you stupid? You don't understand that. <laughs> I had legit haters um, on, on my page because uh, apparently stock splits mean that the stocks goes up, you know, tenfold in two weeks. So uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah i mean in theory it's not supposed to provide anything because the easiest way to look at it is you look at it from the perspective that let's take a pizza right so you have six slices you have a large pizza and if you have the same pizza and divide it into you know split in 12 pieces it's still the exact same pizza which is essentially what a stock split is but I mean, you can probably make an argument that it does create value for shareholders uh, just based on the results, I guess. Um, and the actually, the, the argument I think makes the most sense for me is um, probably a bit less in the States, but a lot more in Canada, is it, it does make the stock more accessible to investors. So if you take Apple, for example, that's trading about like $500 um, for one share, if you split it uh, five, four to one, well, it'll give people the opportunity to buy in at a much cheaper price in the hundreds, right? So I guess that could create more demand for the stock and help boost it. But uh, that's probably the only argument I can have uh, about that. I will die on the hill that it means literally nothing. I I hate this narrative going around. Sorry, Simon, the, what you just said about <laughs> it providing uh, access for more people to be able to buy the shares. That doesn't actually hold true in the States when they can buy fractional shares on their brokerage accounts. So you could buy half a share of Apple. It's just us trying to come up with some narrative for sometimes in the short term, the stock market is very uh, confusing and it doesn't make any sense in the short term. But in the long term, these things will all shake out. I mean, I've been very vocal uh, as I think Tesla is a great company, but I mean, I, I won't be shorting the thing anytime soon, but oh man, I really want to put a put option on it these days. Oh my God. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I would probably, I tend to agree with that. Uh, the only thing I would say about what you just mentioned is uh, not all brokers offer that option in the States. So I think it may have a small impact. But again, I think for me, if it does have an impact, it's obviously just short term. I think you're right in terms of long term, it'll just even out. But short term, it may create a bit more demand uh, just because of increased volume. Yeah, sure thing. So today... We're going to talk about a more prudent, prudent investing process because um, a lot of retail investors in this environment in 2020 uh, seem to be throwing money at the stock market like it's some sort of gambling device. I mean, hey, if you're making money in the short term, sure, looks like you're having a little bit of fun. But uh, for long-term investors who are looking for a solid strategy and how to build a high-quality portfolio of some companies, um, however diversified you want to be, that's up to you. I believe in picking quality, quality companies and just kind of being concentrated in them. But um, yeah, so Simon, when when you are going, okay, you're like, I'm going to deploy some cash. Walk me through step one through step you actually pull the trigger in your brokerage account to finding companies to then execution of, of opening a position. Okay. Uh, yeah. So there's uh, quite a few things I'll look at. So just to get started, um, I'll get my ideas, first of all, to get a company on my radar. Um, I mean, it really depends. So I can listen to another podcast and potentially hear um, someone talk about that company. I could see in an article. I could uh, uh, find it from a screen. Um, so there's all different ways of finding companies. Um, and I mean, whichever way you find it, it doesn't really matter. Just make sure you do your due diligence on the company and that's what I do so I'll try to find a way to you know if I don't know about a company how the hell can I invest in it um, so that's what I'll do once I've found a company that I find at least intriguing to some level um, I'll make sure that I listen whenever it's possible to at least three annual conference calls so I've tell, I've said that quite a few times but I do like to hear management talk um, and usually you'll hear at least the CFO and the CEO on those calls and especially the uh, question the question period from the analysts I always uh, like to hear that because a lot of the times they'll have stupid questions but um, a lot of the time too they'll have some really good questions and it's interesting how management reacts and just the tone of voice and things like that that you can't really get from just reading an annual uh, report. Um, the second thing I want to make sure is and the annual conference call does help for that, but uh, definitely the annual report, but you can look up the company, Google it, the investor relations page. Uh, you can probably even uh, watch a YouTube vi video on the company or the products they sell. But that comes down to making sure that I understand the business, at least at a high level. I'm not gonna pretend like I'm not an environmental engineer, for example. That's your cue, Braden. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I am not an expert in everything. Uh, but I make sure that I, at least I understand the business at a high level. And one of the things I look for is that the company has a, a strong position in whatever the industry is or a moat, as Warren Buffett would say. Um, the third thing is 
what account I'm looking to purchase that company in. So we've talked about uh, the different type of accounts before, but the two main ones that I use currently, it's uh, an RSP and a TFSA. So for the most part, uh, my rules of thumb is if I have a dividend payer that's from Canada um, listed on the TSX, uh, that will be a candidate for my TFSA. Uh, if it's a growth company, um, whether it's US, Canada, that all, it all depends which one I want to go into, but I can have that in either in my TFSA or RSP. But it, if, if it is a dividend payer from the US, um, I will tend to have that in my RSP because there is no withholding taxes in that account and there are in my TFSA. Um, obviously there's other type of accounts, but that's always a good, uh, good thing to ask. And we've talked about uh, taxes on ETFs before where the, uh, they're located. So that's another thing you'll have to consider whether you want to put that ETF in your RSP or TFSA. Um, and then I'll dig into the uh, financial statements. Uh, whenever possible, again, I, I'll look at five years of uh, financial statement. I say whenever possible because it's possible the company li was listed in the past few years. Um, one of the things I want to see is an increase in sales. Um, it's that's I, w I definitely want to see an increase in sale, but at the same time, you I look at it too in terms of uh, is a trend going up so if you have a an off year where maybe it stays stable it doesn't increase much but overall it is going up you know that's fine by my book um, the second thing i'll look at is stable or increasing gross margins and Braden explained really well why that's so important to have some solid gross margins for a business uh, in last week's episode manageable debt either short uh, manageable, manageable debt both short and long term so you, obviously you can look at the uh, balance sheets to see what's going on with their debt, uh, if they have low debt, if it's uh, also when the debt is maturing is very important as well. Uh, and short term, if they have enough funds to pay those interest payments um, and long term as well. Um, if the industry has tailwinds going forward. So I'm not going to invest in a coal company, for example, uh, because I think coal has absolutely no future, but also for for environmental reason, I think it's just terrible to be investing in those type of companies. So, so I want companies that have tailwinds. And if a company is a dividend payer, and I say if because I'm not all my stocks that I own are dividend payers, um, so I want to make sure the dividend is stable or increasing, ideally increasing. Uh, and I want a track record of a dividend payment of five years or more. I want to see a manageable payout ratio co when compared to the free cash flow. And I do say manageable because like we've explained before, the payout ratio is not the same depending on the industry they're in. Um, and a low payout ratio as a utility will be different than a low payout ratio for a tech company that would have a dividend. And then dividend policy from management. So a lot of companies like management will actually come out and say, okay, for the next five years, our target is to increase our dividend from, let's say, 7 to 10% every year. And we think that our free cash flow will be supporting that. So most dividend payers will have a dividend policy. If they don't have it stipulated uh, word for word in their financial statement, their annual reports or on their website, you can always reach out to their investor relations team and oftentimes they'll be able to give that to you. So those are kind of 
in a nutshell what I will be looking at. There's other things I look at, but those are some amongst the uh, the most important things. I like all of those things. And uh, I know we're quite aligned on most of those things and a lot of those things that we're looking for uh, in terms of metrics. So if any of those metrics were confusing to you guys, refer to last week's episode. We did a deep dive on a lot of these ratios going back to basics. So I'm, I'm pretty similar. I do start the top of my funnel, if you will, quite analytical with a screener. So I'll screen out what I think is just complete garbage um, and I'll actually screen out some commodity type um, industries as well because I do not buy commoditized products. Um, I don't think those are quality compounders long term. So I'll screen, I'll screen again. Um, and a quick plug for Stratosphere 2, the screener is almost done. We are so close, guys. I'll keep you posted. Um, and so then from there, once I have a list of companies that I have high conviction on, like super high conviction on, which will not be many, by the way. I'm not talking about 20 stocks. I'm talking about like three or four or or less, one or two. Typically, I move that into my watch list. And that doesn't mean that I'm buying the stock. It's not like I'm jumping to buy the stock at open the next day. A stock sits on my watch list sometimes for over a year as I fully understand the business and, and make sure my thesis is correct. Um, I read an interesting thing on Twitter yesterday about uh, his long thread about how you do not have to rush to buy stocks. And if it's a, if it's a true 10 bagger, meaning the stock multiplies 10 times and you missed the first bag, like that's okay. If you were, if you took that time to get your conviction, your story, right, your thesis, right, that's Okay. So then once I have the, the list of those, those quality companies that I think um, – I tried to organize all my thoughts in a graphic, um, and, and we posted that on our Twitter, by the way. And what I, can, what I call them as the stratosphere compounders, just for me to organize my thoughts and what I think companies that are going to be compounded for a long time consist of. So I'll, I'll kind of fire off some of the, the things that are – some qualities that that exist in these businesses. So first of all, once I've screened through them, I'm I'm looking to see if they're a leader or a disruptor in a global global secular growth trend. Um, this is similar to the tailwinds you were just talking about, Simon. I'm looking to see if they have superior reinvestment opportunity, which can be characterized in return on invested capital, but also uh, can be more qualitative than quantitative at times. I want to see that they have proven top-line sales growth, as you mentioned, and free cash flow growth rates are, are high. Um, and then I'm looking to pay a fair price for the business relative to the, what those qualities and, and growth rates. If they have strong, durable pricing power and they're non-commoditized, we're going to see those gross margins increase over time, and that's kind of telling of their pricing power. And then lastly, which is which I do screen for as well, is the conservative capital structure so that they have a safe balance sheet you know, they're not taking too much debt on to grow those kinds of things some other desired qualities that are not must but i do like in certain businesses is that they're capital light and not asset heavy businesses they have high gross margins network effects they have opportunity for growth 
both organically and through acquisitions. Um, they're easily understood. Um, and it, and if I'm, this goes back to the watch list. If I think it's a great company, but I, I couldn't tell you exactly everything about the business and, and my proper thesis, I could explain it to a 10-year-old, then this doesn't fit into the category for me of easily understood. So you got to be within your, your circle of competence there. I like transparent management, um, a bottleneck business model, which we could do a whole entire episode on. But think of, uh, you know, the toll road type businesses um, that have a bottleneck in their industry and that provides competitive advantages and is is kind of their moat. And then I want to see that uh, the management team is properly incentivized. Uh, If it's founder led, that's even more favorable. I'm a big fan of founder led led companies. They have a lot of stake in the game. They can build the culture correctly. Um, I think over a, a really long period of time, that culture and the people, uh, the management team of the business, the business model combined, those are what are going to drive 10-year results, even if you paid a pretty bad price for it in the short term. So that's kind of my my thesis on what I think are high-quality compounders for a long time. It starts with that screener process because I am a numbers guy. I like to screen out some of the garbage, screen out some industries that I either don't understand or don't think are high-quality business models in there. Um, and that's that's kind of it, man. Uh, it's a patient, patient game. Yeah, yeah no, uh, definitely well put. And I think what most people realize is we have some similar things and there are some things we do differently as well. So it's, it's good to know because investing, it's not, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be the same for everyone. Everyone can have a slightly different uh, process and it's also important to know you won't always get them right. So you'll, you know, you'll have some winners, you'll have some losers, but as long as your winners outweigh your losers and that's good. That's important. And one last thing that I do that I didn't mention, I actually keep a, uh, a Google or uh, I would say, yeah, Google sheet uh, with all the companies that I invest in and I have my investment thesis and I'll go back to it every year just to make sure that that's still the case. And it's just a good thing to, to remind me why I invested that in that business, but also as the thesis change or remain the same. Yeah, that's 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 interesting too. The one thing that I also forgot to say is that I love doing like boots on the ground research, including asking fa- family friends that are in that industry to give me their hot take on that company's position in the marketplace. As you know, Simon, <laughs> as I disclosed in the last episode, I've been pretty bullish on uh, not only SaaS but infrastructure. And um, one company that fits both bills is Autodesk, uh, the the software provider of AutoCAD and, and Revit. And I have lots of friends in engineering, obviously. So I'm asking them all, like, is there is there competition in this industry, or do they just have a complete stranglehold on the industry? And and all the research that I've come back with is Autodesk is the the player in in town. So. I like doing that. It provides me some some more conviction um, in terms of are they truly dominant in that industry, and if is there other disruptors that I might not even know about yet. So uh, I love doing that kind of research. Um, and and like you said, 
we will make mistakes, but your winners are going to carry your portfolio. It is not uncommon for one, two companies to drive almost all of the results in an investment portfolio. That's normal. That happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Definitely. And as long as you have a consistent approach and when you make mistakes, you know, just see it as a learning opportunity. That's probably the the best tip I can give anyone is you realize you've made a mistake. Okay, you can't go back. It is what it is. Just make sure you learn from it and you don't repeat it in the future. Speaking of mistakes, Simon, fire off. We, we've both prepared three investing mistakes, both real life examples and maybe things that were wrong with our thesis as we were uh, beginner investors per se. Uh, rattle off your first whoopsie moment, Simon. Yeah. So the first one, I mean, I talked about it, I think on one of our very first episodes when our audio was terrible, but uh, in case you guys- <laughs> Back not, in the day when, when we were peasants. Day, yeah. In 2019, pre-COVID. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my first one is uh, kind of FOMO, so fear of uh, missing out, but also investing based on someone else's advice without doing my own due diligence. So uh, the example I can give is uh, Tahira Diamond, so T-A-H-E-R-A. Um, so feel free to Google it. There's actually a C CBC article on it on how they delisted from the Toronto Stock Exchange in 2009, if I remember correctly. Uh, but just goes to show that I, I invested in this company because uh, one of my friend's mom uh, was telling me that they had found diamonds in a mine in uh, northern Canada. And, uh, you know, I was just going to really hit it off uh, because they've found that mine. Well, Yes, they found diamonds in a mine, but they were actually a junior explorer. Um, so they found the diamonds, but they still hadn't uh, started taking them out. And with all the infrastructure and the investments that it requires. Well, you know, the company and ended up uh, going bankrupt. And obviously, I lost all of my money. Uh, but, you know, I learned from that. It was a lot of money for me at the time. I was uh, 18 or 19. Uh, but I'm glad I did it early on because now I invest much larger sums of money and I'm definitely happy I made that mistake early on because now I'll actually, you know, I'll do my due diligence uh, when investing in a company. So that is, that's the first thing. Why am I shocked <laughs> that <laughs> a junior mining exploration company would make it on this list? How common is that? Uh yeah, my my buddy knows that this company just found gold or whatever, you know, insert material X uh in that they just found and it's just like, "Oh my god." If I like if I had just a penny for every time like one of those whisper stocks came into my inbox, I would be a rich man. Hey, I've never made the mistake again, so I learned from there it. There you go. I'm <laughs> glad to hear it. So what's your uh, first one, Brayden? My first one, and I prefaced earlier that we'd talk about it, is actually a stock that I did not invest in. I don't want to be that guy who's like, of course, the biggest company in the world. Oh, you didn't buy it. Sure, whatever. Apple just had $2 trillion in market cap, uh, f over $500 a share. And my mom was asking me, what a good U.S. company was uh, to, to, to buy. And, of course, Apple was still a mega large cap at the time. 
trading at $90 per share. And I had this thesis, um, and I was going to buy it in my own investment portfolio after doing all this digging. I had this thesis that their services business was going to take off. This, this, this ecosystem that Apple was developing was so sticky. And I was a student at the time. Um, and every single person in the class had a MacBook and their phone and didn't listen to the prof. They just had this like unbelievably sticky ecosystem that they were developing and everyone had to start playing with Apple um, when it came to gaming on the mobile, when it came to uh, applications, everyone had to play in Apple sandbox. And the reason that I didn't, I didn't pull the trigger was because I had just seen such a transition of devices in, in the electronic hardware space being the opposite of sticky. I mean, in grade whatever, I had this flip phone, and then in the next year I had a slide phone, and then, you know, after that was another flip phone, and then it was like the age of Blackberries being so sticky, and everyone could have thought Blackberry was going to be, you know, Canada's darling, and it was, and it was at one time. But Apple was different, um, and I had so much conviction, and I just didn't pull the trigger. I had so much conviction in how sticky this ecosystem is, and at the time, Apple was ex- had explosive earnings per share growth and was trading at less than 11 times earnings. It was like 10 and a half times earnings. Now, Apple is approaching like 40 times earnings. I think it's like 38 today. So I recognized that there would be not only that this is a great company, but there is so much multiple expansion built into the thesis. And that's what has driven uh, among their extreme share buybacks with the amount of cash they're spinning off. Uh, Share buybacks in this multiple expansion has had this incredible run into now what Apple is today. And I, and I think Apple's a buy today, even at $2 trillion in market cap. Um, so, so maybe there's still time. I mean, this, this company has just such a sticky ecosystem, and I'm kicking myself for not pulling the trigger. There's only a few times where you're going to have like extreme conviction on companies. For me, it's payments. Right now, I am like payments, payments, payments. I think... That is the the conviction I am just set on of, of going to be quality compounders in the future. And that was one of them. And I didn't pull the trigger. And here I am. Apple hits $2 trillion in market cap. And I have never owned a position. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a happy shareholder. What can I say? <laughs> How long have you had Apple? Um, I've had ha- Apple, I think, for two and a half, three years now. So oh. I don't know. It's performed uh, pretty well for that that amount of time, for sure. Pretty well. Listen to you, yeah. eh? Pretty well. It's done all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm think. not. I'm not complaining. But again, uh, same same thesis as you. I don't think it's gonna stop anytime soon. And I'm just gonna. I'm holding that. Uh, just it's gonna stay in my portfolio for a long, long time unless something takes a really unpredicted turn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, right, so I'll go with my second, second one. one. Yeah. Yeah. 
so the second one, um, I have kind of a bigger one here. So being too focused on value, traditional value investing, or waiting too long to pull the trigger. So um, it, I guess, goes a little to say what, what uh, ties into what you just said with Apple as well. But uh, when I after I made that mistake from uh, investing into Hero Diamonds, I really got into researching uh, what good investors did. So I got an interest into Warren Buffett. I read The Intelligent Investor, and then I was really focused on value investing. Uh, the problem with value investing is I find you know you can miss out on a lot of industries that uh, may not be a good value but are really booming. So right now you know we're looking at you just said payment industry, but whether you're looking at that, you're looking at renewable energy, you're looking at data, um, and everything being in the cloud. Um, a lot of those companies that are in those sectors do not look good in terms of a value investor with traditional metrics. And I did that mistake a whole lot early on and now I think I've learned from it and I do have a mixed approach now I look I obviously I like to get a good deal uh, but I definitely focus more on getting a really good business at a fair value and sometimes that fair value will be a bit more expensive it's if if it's growing extremely quickly and if it is growing extremely quickly and I find the valuation rich, but I really, really love the business, I mean, oftentimes what I'll do is I'll dollar cost average, I'll start a small position, make sure it's a small portion of my portfolio and slowly add to it. That way I, I don't miss out on those multi-baggers that I could uh, potentially have that are major disruptors or that have huge tailwinds. Um, so that's one of the bigger mistakes, in my opinion, that I've made, probably more than the first one, to be honest. Hey, I think a lot of us are with you on that. That's I think that's largely shared by a lot of investors over the last decade um, is that you can ignore some of the best companies that are going to change the world because of the valuation. And this is not saying go pay crazy prices for stocks. It's every single company out there that changes the world in a meaningful way looks overvalued as hell at least once, probably more, at least once in their story. So I'm with you on that, man. It, and, and you are not alone. This is, this is really common. Uh, Braden, d does that mean I should buy Tesla? <laughs> we need to we need to we need to ban the that stock yep. from this podcast yeah exactly we okay. talk about it we we sound for like two we're weeks just for two we weeks. sound like we're just jealous at this point and that's because i am <laughs> um i have a similar type a similar type investing thesis problem that i went through and i am so adamant and vocal about telling people not to do this because it's so so silly and especially Canadians, because of the TSX index is so heavily weighted into banking and energy, which pay fat, juicy dividends, people are so drawn to dividend yields. And I don't know why, um, other than they look at it and they're looking at this company and thinking, wow, I can get a nice 9% yield on my money every year as income. And that is their thesis. Start, stop, buy. Like, 
that that was the entire investing decision was look i can get this nine percent yield every year for just holding this energy stock and sure there might be merits to that as an income investor sure but that should never ever be the sole reason you invest in a company I'll give you some numbers here. Obviously, the S&P is now, again, higher than it was pre-COVID, um, which is kind of insane, but that's that's the truth. And the dividend aristocrats index is down on the year. So you've been horrendously underperforming by trying to chase dividend yields on slow growth or zero growth companies that have headwinds not tailwinds and that is a huge mistake and one that is made so often by beginners is trying to chase dividend yield hey look i like getting paid dividends simon does too who doesn't like getting paid cash for being a shareholder but if you start and finish your investment thesis based on that income that is not going to be a good strategy for you and you will like I'm so confident you will underperform the market over the next 20 years if that's how people invest so and again it, it, this is a very very common mistake that is made by beginners I made it and I want everyone to not have the only reason they buy a stock is the fat juicy dividend yield Man, we should have talked about these before the podcast. That was my third one, but oh, <laughs> no, it's see, all good. It's all good. So, I, yeah, I mean, I, one of my mistakes too was to focus on dividend stocks, not necessarily just a TSX, but dividend in general, without looking enough at companies that did not pay a dividend. Because I think you just the problem with doing this is you weed out a lot of awesome companies just because they're not paying a dividend. So I totally agree with you. And I don't know if it's because we're Canadian, but a lot of Canadians seem to be really focused on that as well. So I think it was good that you brought it. Um, So aside from that, I'll have to think of a new one. So do you want to go with your third one? And I'll try to come up with a new one. You hit the drawing board, but or we can just continue to harp on that. Do not chase current dividend yield. All right, so another one that uh, I've been lucky that I don't have a bunch of examples of just like I lost all my money on this stock because I just don't have any of those. I'm really, really patient, and I don't buy stocks that with like throwing at a dartboard, so... Uh, I'm like a grandpa as an 18-year-old when I opened my TFSA account and didn't have any of those whisper stocks. But what I have made mistakes on is making some pretty bold assumptions that a five-year a five-year um, revenue growth trend, like compounded annual growth rate of X percent, is just going to magically continue forward. For, with no real good reason, no real good thesis beyond, hey, look, it's been uh, growing revenues at 15% a year. That's how fast this company grows, like it's, like it's law. And that's not necessarily true, especially if it's an acquisition machine and they're making, you know, as they 
grow, make more acquisitions, the growth is going to slow because the base is bigger, uh, for one. And some of that organic growth on another company just might not persist if they've already captured a lot of their total addressable market. So obviously you want to f- find companies that are growing, but it is it is a very difficult assumption to make that X percent every year, five-year average, is going to be just what it is into the future. Now, that is a good sign, and I screen for companies on past growth because that, that means they have had proven results. However, moving forward, you have to have some real conviction or idea of why you think that is going to persist. And that is the whole investment thesis that you're going to be making is that not only can this growth continue or potentially even accelerate. So I made that mistake a lot. Um, I still make it um, when I'm looking at ideas. So I'm I'm curious to to see if, if you have potentially done that or still do that and uh, your thoughts on that one uh yeah i mean i think it's probably human nature to to make that mistake but again i think i i like to try to especially when i find that the let's say even management is making these predictions going forward i always try to see if i can lower those expectations a little bit and still see if i'm interested in the company um but yeah it's a mistake i've made as well it's very easy to just project the current situation and the future um whether you know you can make that mistakes on both sides as well you can look at a company that might be great but then you're looking at it now and like whoa it's not going well like it's probably going to keep going you know down in the gutter going forward and then vice versa like you just said if you look at the company it's been growing at five ten percent compound annual growth rate over the the past five ten years it's really easy to project that in the future um i think the the main takeaway for me from this is really making sure you have a a bit of a margin of safety so you know just dial back a bit those expectations even if you think there's a good shot that they will actually achieve them and then tell yourself you know is this still a good investment even if you know they grow slightly slower than than i anticipated yeah and and if it is truly a quality long-term compounder you're going to hold in your portfolio for a long time you'll actually probably underestimate the growth rate if it's a crap company and you're looking for a turnaround like a lot of deep value investors are, you're probably not going to be conservative enough. Um, so that just emphasizes why you buy quality because your assumptions on both sides of that coin versus a high quality versus low quality company, you're probably going to be under you're probably going to be too conservative for the high quality and not conservative enough for the, the crap company. Yeah, well put. Um, I guess I do have a, a last one now. Um, maybe a bit early on I made that mistake, um, although now I don't think I do. I will look at, uh, at it that way, but just had to get an idea of where it's going. Um, so looking and making your sole decision of investing based on a graphic. So yes, graphics are fun. It's nice looking at whatever company and, you know, whether it's going up or, you know, you think it's hitting a low or whatnot. But at the end of the day, the graph of a company, it can 
give you a good idea historically just as a snapshot, but it should not be your thesis for investment. You should do a thorough investment. Uh, everyone's going to look at the graph, don't get me wrong, but uh, I hear of a, a lot of people making investment based on just, you know, the graph of a company. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on that, Braden? I feel like I know where you're going, but do, do you mean like the, the, the performance share price chart or are you yeah. talking about, yeah, you're talking about like their actual performance chart. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God, just uh, yeah. the actual, you know, the graph you just see right up when you go on Yahoo Finance, for example. Oh God. Yeah. That, <laughs> I, I love the, uh, Peter Lynch. He does some like, uh, speech i couldn't tell you where it was from it's 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 in the last century and he goes people do so much research when they're gonna go buy some dishwasher they like try to find coupons they ask their friends about this one they do research online like they do so much research to find out about this this dishwasher if it's gonna be good and then they hear some stock tip and they run out the door to call their broker to invest half their life savings in this stock without doing any research at all. And that is the same concept of seeing that something is going up and just solely investing based strictly on that. I mean, <laughs> that is that is that is kind of 101. I, I actually try to come up with my entire investment thesis without even looking at the chart. I almost always cheat and do, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very, very common mistake. Or even like, you know, trying to buy the dip, right? Just looking at the graph and like, oh my God, like it's, it's down 80%. Uh, let's say cruises, for example, it's easy to be like, oh man, it just, if it just gets back at, you know, it just doubles here. It doesn't even have to go to like half of the price it was previously at and I'll double my money. Um, it's easy to think that way and look at the graph and going ahead and thinking you're, you know, you're super smart, but when you start digging into to it and you realize that those cruise ships are not moving um yeah maybe it won't go back to to the price it was before and like on the opposite side of that is the amount of people who do not invest in a company because it has gone up is completely bonkers to my brain like oh the stock has gone up already x percent i can't buy it now it's like, what are you talking about? Of course, good companies are going to be reaching all-time highs. If they didn't, then they would never be going up. <laughs> it would never increase in value. And I know we've harped on that about you know not buying a company because it's at an all-time high is completely stupid. Um, and then this goes back full circle to what I was mentioning before about being patient with something on your watch list is if it is going to be that true 10-bagger company that creates wealth, if you miss the first bag, that's okay. So if you look at it and you, you finally have complete conviction about this company, and that was 100% ago in uh, stock performance on the chart, and you go, oh, no, and you miss the next nine bags, that's on you. That's a complete, that's, that's, a, that's a really, that's a good one, Simon, because that goes both ways. If you're investing in the chart or 
choosing not to because it's gone up, oh boy, that's that's trouble. Yeah, exactly. So I think, uh, I mean, I think we've gone do- uh, <laughs> gone on uh, long enough about those. Uh, is there anything else uh, you wanted to say before we uh, wrap up and let people go? No, sir. I was just going to say uh, thanks everyone listening to the podcast. Their views have been good. Um, minus a couple people that uh, <laughs> really like gold, don't like us talking badly about gold. But uh, I really appreciate everyone listening. Uh, Simon, I know you share that as well, and I, I get lots of emails from you guys. We appreciate all the support. All you have to do is leave us a little review, and we truly appreciate that. If you're not subscribed on the app you're listening to right now, go ahead and do that. Uh, it really helps us. It helps us grow. It helps us grow the pod. It helps us produce more content for you guys, so we just really appreciate everyone listening. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.